Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadon of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, yet not with a whole heart. And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants who had struck down the king his father. But he did not put their children to death, according to what is written in the law in the book of Moses, where Yahweh commanded, Fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those twenty years old and upward, and found that they were three hundred thousand choice men fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. He also hired a hundred thousand mighty men of valor from Israel for a hundred talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for Yahweh is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go, act. Be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help, or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, Yahweh is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again, and they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and let out his people and went to the valley of Salt and struck down ten thousand men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another ten thousand alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock, and they were all dashed to pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah, from Samaria to Beth Haran, and struck down three thousand people in them, and took much spoil. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir, and set them up as his gods, and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore Yahweh was angry with Amaziah, and sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you, because you have done this, and have not listened to my counsel. And then Amaziah king of Judah took counsel and sent to Joash the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. And Joash the king of Israel sent word to Amaziah king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You say, See, I have struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. But now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash king of Israel went up, and he and Amaziah king of Judah faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. 
and Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Joash king of Israel captured Amaziah king of Judah the son of Joash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for four hundred cubits, from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God in the care of Obed-Edom. He seized also the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages, and he returned to Samaria. Amaziah the son of Joash king of Judah lived fifteen years after the death of Joash the son of Jehoahaz king of Israel. Now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah from first to last, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time when he turned away from Yahweh, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death there. And they brought him upon horses, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. This is the word of the Lord. So we continue with our list of kings who reign over the land of Judah. Today, Amaziah, who is the son of Joash, who was just assassinated at the end of chapter 24. Amaziah listed as doing what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. So that gives us four good kings over Judah with really four evil ones as well, three evil, and then Abijah, who was not labeled by Chronicles, but is labeled evil in Kings. However, Amaziah did not serve Yahweh with a whole heart. And that's going to come back at the end of the text as, as we read it. Now, 29 years in Jerusalem is the length of his reign, so roughly 796 until 767 B.C. When he had the royal power, so when everything was firmly in his hand and he knew he had the authority to do this, he took those two servants who had killed his father. So we had in chapter 24, verse 26, Zabad, son of Shimeath the Ammonite, Jehozabad, the son of Shimrith, the Moabite. And he killed them both. This is an execution for assassinating a king. And this is something, honestly, that has precedent in the Old Testament. When the messenger came to King David and announced to him the idea that King Saul was dead and claimed that it was by his hand, thinking David would reward him for it. David instead executed him for having thought that he was in the right to put his hand against the Lord's anointed, that it was okay to harm one that God had set aside as his king. That's the same kind of a picture here, although we don't have that that spoken connection to a faith, but that is the background uh, that perhaps Amaziah is going with, and that Amaziah knows Deuteronomy 24 to not enact that against these families uh, gives a little bit more possible weight to that. So Deuteronomy 24 verse 16 is what is quoted here for us in verse 4, the law of Moses that says that a father will not die for the sins of his children, nor children for the sins of their father, but that everyone dies for their own sins. So Amaziah, knowing that Old Testament command of God, uh, keeps it and does not seek to put these families to death. At that point, Amaziah musters together his army. Looking for battle, it seems, from the way the text reads at least, but he only has 300,000 men. It's a lot of men. I say only because it's a downgrade from where Judah has been previously. 
Um, we haven't had military numbers in the book of Chronicles over the last few kings, so we have to go all the way back to Jehoshaphat, his great-great-grandfather before him, who had 1.16 million soldiers at the end of chapter 17. So this is quite a significant reduction, almost a 75% drop in the size of the army of Judah over those last four generations now. Fearing that this is not enough, or supposing, or however you want to phrase it, he also hired mercenaries, a 100,000 men from Israel for a 100 talents of silver. That's 7,500 pounds of silver, so that's not even a not even close to a pound a, a soldier there. It ends up being 1.2 ounces of silver per hired man. And by our own definition, our own valuation of the cost of silver at only about $20 an ounce, that, you know, what, like 25 bucks? It's not very much for the hiring of a soldier. These men have come for, for very little. A prophet comes to him, so a man of God, verse 7, says, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for Yahweh is not with Israel. Really, this is something Amaziah should have known. The hiring of mercenaries from the start was a, a wrong thing to do. This is the same God who has defeated a great multitude, a great horde of enemies from before Jehoshaphat, without them even having to battle. This is the same God who led a small army of Judah against a million soldiers from Ethiopia, and they were victorious. This is the same God who used in Judges chapter 7, 300 men to fight against 135,000 Midianites, and they won without casualty. You don't hire mercenaries when God is your God. Trust in the Lord. So that was a struggle. And he's going to be, I think, punished for this in verse 13. But we'll come back to that here in a little bit. So, send them home. Get rid of them. The prophet doesn't actually say that. He does not say what to do with these Israelite soldiers. God has the power to help or to cast down. This is most certainly true. And again, gave you some examples there of that already. So Amaziah then asked the prophet, what do we do about the hundred talents of silver? He's now concerned about the money that he's paid to enlist these men. To which the prophet responds rightly, Yahweh is able to give you much more than this. If you trust in him. The prophet didn't say that, but that's the thrust here. That's the, the aim. Amaziah trusts. He responds well to this. He discharges the army of Israel. He sends them home, and they get angry with him because of it. So while he's out in battle, which we're going to skip ahead here to verse 13, while he's out in battle, they make their way home from Beth Haran to Samaria. So Samaria being the capital of Israel, Beth Haran being a city in Judah northwest, 10 miles northwest of Jerusalem. They go about striking people down. They wanted to fight. Those mercenaries did. They wanted bloodshed, and they got it by killing 3,000 people of Judah, of King Amaziah. Doesn't specifically say it, but this could be God's judgment against the king of Judah for having trusted Israel in the first place, or it could simply be the sin of these men 
The text is not specific enough for us to say. So back to what Amaziah was doing in the meantime, he goes down to the Valley of Salt, which is southwest of the Salt Sea, and he fights against Edom, where he kills 10,000 Edomite soldiers, captures another 10,000, takes them to the top of a rock, and throws them down so that they die too. That's an oddity. It's not good by any stretch of the imagination. If you capture a prisoner, you should treat them better than this, perhaps? Why not slay them on the battlefield? Again, not much said here. There's not a lot of context to go around it, nor is there a divine official word on, on whether verse 12 is okay or not. It's just a record of history for us to see. So Amaziah returns, and this is where Amaziah's trouble really begins. He returns from battle with the Edomites, and he captured their false gods, and he sets them up back home, and he begins to worship these idols. He just trusted in Yahweh enough to send a 100,000 Israelite soldiers home and to go into battle without them. And now he's going to trust the false gods that couldn't even save their own people. And that's the point the prophet will come to him to make. Yahweh sees fit to send his king a prophet who makes that very point that those false gods are worthless. They could not defend Edom. Why should you worship them? And the king responds harshly. While the king might see his response as a thing of mercy, uh, but what's happened here is somebody has told the king no, and the king is threatening his life. Keep talking, and he'll end up dead. That might be a family conversation. What was Amaziah planning to do to the prophet for telling him no? Why did he not want to hear the prophet's words? Family conversation there just because children often hear no. Children don't want to hear no. Parents don't really even want to hear no. And so this king did not want to hear somebody tell him to repent, basically, uh, to trust in Yahweh alone instead. And so... He tells this prophet to stop speaking. The prophet says one more sentence. I know God is determined to destroy you and leaves. Okay, you don't want to hear the word of God? This is his final judgment of you. You're done. And he leaves. I mean, this is similar to what Jesus has the 12 and the 72 say as they go into various villages in the New Testament. And they go into the town, and if someone will receive them, they're to stay with them and speak the word of God to them and tell them about how the kingdom of God has come near. But if they will not receive you, you know, shake even the dust of that town off of your feet. But as they, as they leave, they're still supposed to declare that judgment that the kingdom of God has yet come near. So for those who hear the word of Jesus, who receive the word of Jesus, that message that the kingdom of God is near is gospel because Jesus is near, and your salvation is near. But for those who have refused it, that message is law. It is judgment, because for the kingdom to be near, for Jesus to be near, means so is your destruction, since you have refused his forgiveness. So similarity here, a bit of a parallel. 
Now, another family conversation you could have on all of this is a pattern that we are seeing develop here in the book of Chronicles. Why have so many of these kings started out faithful to God, only to later fall away? It could be a good family conversation about the dangers of pride in our lives as we have seen these men become boastful about themselves um, and they start to think that they can do this thing, they can rule with their own hand. We've seen several of these men do it. Rehoboam, Joash, Amaziah, just to mention a few, that have turned from the Lord near the end of their life. So Amaziah, one of these, verse 17, takes counsel, and this would actually appear to be takes counsel with the king of Israel, Joash, let us look one another in the face. And that is not a, let's just meet each other and have a conversation. It is the invitation to battle, and Joash is well aware of this by what we see in his response. His response is a little strange, perhaps, but it is clear enough what he is saying by this. So a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon. So you see the difference. A thistle is just a, a, a thorn, just a small weed, a, a thing that is not of any value to anyone, whereas the cedars of Lebanon are legendary, and quite literally legendary. They're, they're the greatest lumber of, of Scripture uh, to have been used to build the temple and so forth. Israel's king Joash is saying that he is the cedar of Lebanon and that Amaziah is this thistle. So ignore the request of give your daughter to my son for a wife. And it's just part of this illustration that he's using. The main point is that like this thistle, this little tiny guy who is of insignificant to anything, he thinks he's somebody when he's not. And he makes this big, grand request, and then all of a sudden he's destroyed as a wild beast passes by. Just steps on it, crushes it. The weed is killed. Joash says, See, I have struck down Edom, as a reference to Amaziah's defeat of Edom earlier in the chapter, and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness, but now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah, with you. So, I'm the cedar, says Joash. You're the thistle. You are meaningless. You are insignificant. Stay home. Don't provoke a fight. That's the purpose of what he's saying. Amaziah would not listen. Verse 20, for it was of God. This is God's judgment against Amaziah for worshiping false gods. And he's going to take the people of Judah down with him. So they go, they meet at Beth Shemesh, which is about 20 miles west of Jerusalem. And indeed, Joash proves to have been correct in what he said, defeats Judah so that the remaining men flee home, takes Amaziah back to Jerusalem where he destroys 400 cubits, it's about 600 feet worth of the city's wall, makes the breach, brings his army in, gathers all kinds of gold and silver from the temple and also the king's palace and some hostages and takes it all back home to his palace in Samaria. 
We're not actually told what he does with Amaziah. It almost seems as though he simply leaves Amaziah there in Jerusalem at that time in the wake of his defeat to mourn and grieve. It's quite possible. Um, It does not talk about him taking him back to Samaria as a captive there. Instead, we simply get the closing of the text. And this is true also back in 2 Kings where this is also recorded. Amaziah simply lives 15 more years after the death of Joash, and he's doing that in Jerusalem. So it seems like Joash left him behind, but I don't know that for certain. After he had turned away from Yahweh and started worshiping these false gods, they had started to conspire against him. Yet it takes them quite a long time to actually enact their conspiracy. So he flees to Lachish, which is about 30 miles to the southwest of Jerusalem, Uh, They chase him down, they kill him, and that's the end of Amaziah.